0: Good afternoon, at least it's afternoon when I'm recording this. This is lesson number two in the introduction to the Pentateuch. Um, I wanted to take a little more time today than I did last week. I'm not sure that I will because uh, I'm pretty tired out. I might just kind of skim over this and upload the notes and let you look at it. We had to deal with uh, some of the storm, even though we were out power only a day and a half at our house. The people I pastored went longer. I have some who, many who were told they might be two or three weeks, and I've been trying to see what I could do to help some of them. have been on the road today, all day, most of the day, delivering uh, ice and such. And if you will, please pray for my people over at Wilma Missionary Baptist Church in Tangible Parish, Louisiana. Oh, just start off. We're looking at lesson two the Introduction to the Pentateuch, um, someone said, these five books are the fountainhead of theological inquiry. And there's so much truth in that because the best way to grasp a story is to start at the beginning. And that's what you do when you come to the Pentateuch. The five-volume book starts out, in the beginning, God. In fact, being that, what you also find is when it says, in the beginning, God, you also notice that within those first 31 verses, Genesis chapter 1, that over and over and over, you find the activity of God. And not only do you find the activity of God, but you find that that's a revelation of God because it speaks of, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So, in the beginning, He was there before time. He created the heavens. He's created space. Um, he has created the earth. He created matter. God is not confined to time. He's not confined to space. He's not confined to matter. He is larger, greater than all the universe, and He is King and Lord of all the universe. Uh, it reveals us, God to us, just within the first few verses, as being eternal, creator, powerful, king, the source of all good, the sole object of worship. Within, By the time you get to chapter 2, he's also seen as the Lawgiver. Chapter 3, he's the judge and the redeemer. And all of a sudden, when you look at that, you find that these things are repeated over and over and over throughout the whole Scripture with Genesis chapters 1 through 3 setting the tone. When you look at it, there are various um, literary genres or literary forms that are there. You have narrative, just the telling of a story. You have a historical narrative because it's telling us a story of what happened in the past literally. You have legislation. You find God giving laws. There's another thing that you may cannot properly call it a genre, but I think it's so important, and it is the thing of promise. You find over and over and over again the promises of God there within um, the Pentateuch. Not only that, you find promise, you find blessing, you find commandment, you find judgment or cursing. There are some very, very important things to be found within the Pentateuch. First thing, of course, is God Himself. For example, you look at these first three chapters of Genesis, what do you see? You see God. You see God creating. You see God revealing Himself. You see God demonstrating Himself as the only one um, due worship because He's the only one deserving. You see Him presenting Himself as sovereign, as king, as good, as blessing, as Lord and legislator, lawgiver, but also as judge, cursing. But then, As you go on into chapters 2 and 3, you see that of lawgiver, judge, and person. But even in chapter 1, verses 26 through 28, when God makes man in his own image, um, blesses him, commands him to uh, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, and take dominion, and all of these things. You see that God is one who is very good. Who is the source of all good because when he looks at all that he makes at the end of day six, he surveys it and says, very good. He is the source of all that is very good. Well, again, you see that of creation. All through the scriptures, from here on out, you're going to see creation. God created um, the universe, the heavens, the earth. He created all that fills the earth. He created man to rule the earth and take dominion over the earth. When man sinned, he also created him clothing. He created a cover. You see him take and begin to create from man a family. You see the family grow into the creation of society. You see... After the flood, the, a form of recreation in the sense of that the earth is beginning to feel and be replenished, and man's commanded with the same dominion mandate to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. There's a sort of a recreation there. You see God creating a nation, beginning with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You see him. Create that nation from a man and his son and his grandson and 12 great-grandsons. You see them go into Egypt and you see him create a great and mighty nation out of them. You see them come out of Egypt and you see him create a distinct and separate nation out of them. You find him, as he brings them to the land of Canaan, as we head toward the end of Deuteronomy, they come, they come to Joshua. What do you see God doing? He's still creating His nation and His people. And that continues all throughout the Scripture. Because when you see Jesus come, well, there's another thing that we'll look at in a little bit, but what is He doing? But a special act of creation when He gives Jesus His human body within the womb of the Virgin Mary. You see Him doing creative work and raising Christ from the dead. If you back up to um, the marriage in Cana of Galilee where Jesus turned the water into wine. What is that but the demonstration of the creative power of God? There's the creation and the creative power of God in raising up Christ from the dead. Then what does He do with you and me? We're born again. We're made new creatures. We're promised that the creation in which we live will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God, so that when you come to Revelation chapter number 21, it says, He which testifies these things saith, Behold, I make all things new. So you see how it's the foundation, the Pentateuch is the foundation for all of the creative work of God, that even much of it which has yet to be, which has yet to come to pass. There's the theme of sin. Man is given a task and a job by merit of who he is, being made in the image and the likeness of God. Man is to represent God. That's what an image is or a likeness. That's why when you come to Deuteronomy, that Moses said, you know, y'all don't make any any images because you never saw any similitude of God. You never saw a shape of God. You didn't see his face. You didn't see a body. So you can't make an image and reduce him to that. An image is a figure that represents something. We call pictures images or likenesses. Um, realize that I'm talking to a generation, many of whom never knew Brother Byron Hamilton. But Brother Hamilton, Brother G.V. Hamilton, was one of our um, early faithway ministers back um Many years ago, a leader in our association, and moderator for many years, a great man of God. And he also was the second editor of The Voice of Faith following Brother J.M. Stewart. Brother Hamilton would print a picture in The Voice of Faith paper, and he never said, this is Jason Skipper. He never said, this is a picture of Jason Skipper or whoever was in the picture. He always said, this is the lightness. Well, that's what that was all about was that the um, picture presents a likeness. It shows, and re- it's a representative figure in the end. Man has much to show about God and who he is. We, maybe we can look at that some more later as we delve into Genesis, but we've got to move on from there. Because, see, man's sin involved the fact that he didn't take the name. Not only was he to represent God, he was to take dominion. And when the serpent came and tempted the woman, the Bible says that her husband was right there with her. And instead of taking dominion over the serpent, as he was to have done, he yielded. And he came under the serpent's dominion. And that's the nature of sin, is becoming servants to that which we're not to serve. To him whom we're not to serve. And so you see, The theme of sin. And we know that runs all throughout Scripture. Even when you come to the book of the Revelation, you see that sin increases, it multiplies, until finally God takes care of sin in the ultimate um, conclusion and consummation of all things when death and hell are cast into the lake of fire. So that sin is finally and eternally conquered. Of course we know The greatest answer to that was because of the cross and the resurrection from the dead. That Jesus died under sin, but he conquered sin, rose from the grave, conquering sin and death because it's impossible for death to hold a sinless person. Even Peter said it was not possible that the grave should hold him. We see judgment. We see judgment promised in chapter 2, verse 17, where man was told, if you eat of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you'll die. You see man's uh, spiritual death when he flees from God. He hides from the best person in all of the universe. The ruler and kind God of love. You see um, judgment come upon him in his sin. Because not only does it come because he dies spiritually, but there's another death that begins and that's natural death. Adam lives to be 930 years of age, but every day he was gradually dying. Not only that, you see the issue of redemption. Where an animal dies and sheds its blood so that the nakedness of Adam and his wife could be covered. What is an atonement? Atonement means covering. The the first atonement is a blood atonement. It's a redemption to where man can steal have his shame covered from himself and from the sight of God. And blood redemption has been the theme all through Scripture, so that when man stands before the throne of God in Revelation chapter number five, and he rejoices and he praises and he magnifies the Lord, why does he magnify him? Worthy is the lamb. Because he was slain. For oh, thou was slain and hast redeemed us by thy blood. You see that again of promise and calling, how that God gave promises to people and called people. and He would direct their lives until you come to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and uh, especially out of Jacob's son's Judah and with a special emphasis as well upon Joseph and how that these two lines combine and all the way through um, David and all the others all the way down to Christ. And even in Christ, what do you find except that in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, that all the promises of God in Him are yea and in Him, amen, unto the glory of God and by us. But it all begins in the beginning. And we don't understand all the rest as well as we should if we don't get a grasp of these early themes. And so we look at these things and... Um, You notice, especially, look back on the issue of judgment. The judgment on Adam and Eve. Um, There's the judgment on the serpent. There's the judgment upon the earth in chapter 3 of Genesis. There's the judgment of the flood in chapter 6 through 7. Judgment that was promised to be coming upon the Canaanites in chapter 15. Exodus chapters 12 through 14. Judgments upon Egypt and upon Egypt's gods. Because hey, you don't worship anyone else other than the Lord Jehovah, the one true God, the creator of heaven and earth. So there, there are gods are judged. Leviticus 27 and 28, judgment threatened to Israel for their failure to obey God. Judgment upon the unbelievers in Israel. In Numbers 14, where all of those above 20 years of age died in the wilderness, except for Joshua and Caleb, because they believed Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 33. A song of judgment and warning to Israel that Moses writes down because they're told about how they're going to stray away from God and they're warned of judgment. The fact is, the Pentateuch is itself a thematic unity. There's a connected storyline because when you begin, you start at the creation, you go all the way through the book of Genesis, the creation of Israel up to the point that they're a family, a large family of about 70 people. Joseph, it ends with Joseph in a coffin in Egypt, but Joseph has given commandment by faith concerning his bones that they don't leave his bones in Egypt. What do you find in Exodus with the continuation of that story? The new ruler arises who never knew Joseph, and so they... They're oppressed, but what do they do? They come out of Egypt. They take Joseph's bones. They head toward the land of Canaan. Leviticus is about laws concerning ceremonies uh, that they're to observe as a nation. Exodus contains much of that as well. Numbers contains a narrative of the wandering as they're headed toward Egypt. I mean, Canaan, and then they're wandering in the wilderness. And then you see Deuteronomy as this new generation of children who's lived through the 40 years of wandering and observed their parents and grandparents dying because of unbelief. In Deuteronomy, you have the second giving of the law. Deuteronomos, the second law. And so they get the law because they were real young at Mount Sinai, many of them not born when the law was given. And so there's that flowing thematic story. Well, there was a reason the law was given, Galatians 3.24 was a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. Jesus himself spoke concerning the Pentateuch, especially in John 5 and 39. He says, Search the Scriptures, for in them you think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. Notice, again, the greatest thing of all that we're going to follow for just a few minutes. And it begins in Genesis chapter 3, and it fills the whole Bible. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, the Lord speaks to the woman and to the serpent. And he said, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. It was a promised seed. And what happens? Chapter 4. Adam knew his wife, Eve, Eve his wife, and she conceived seed and bare, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I've gotten a man from the Lord. There's every possibility she's bearing a son. There's every possibility that Eve was thinking, this is the one. This is the one. But he wasn't. Chapter 5, verses 28 and 29. Lamech lived in eight, 182 years and begat a son. And he called his name Noah, saying, This same shall comfort us concerning our work and toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord has cursed. So, After Cain proved out not to be the seed, there was Seth. From the Sethite line comes Noah, and his father says, the Lord is going to comfort us through this one. Noah was a picture in some ways of Christ, but he wasn't the Christ. He wasn't that promised seed. And so what happens? You come to chapter 12, and you see the promise in chapter 12. I will make of thee a great nation, will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. I will bless them that bless thee and curse thee, them that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Chapter 21. In Isaac shall thy seed be called. Notice how he said that. In you all nations will be blessed. Your seed will be called in Isaac. Get to chapter 22, verse 18. And in thy seed shall all nations of the earth be blessed because thou hast obeyed me. Galatians chapter 3, there's this statement concerning us that he saith unto seed, not unto seeds as of many, but a seed as of one, which is Christ. He's quoting that, and he's saying, notice that he didn't say a plural, just a singular. You want to talk about the plenary, or full verbal word for word inspiration of Scripture? Even the very um, tenses of words, and the singularity and the plurality of words mean something, so that a doctrine as important as that of the Lord Jesus Christ hinges upon, the application of it in one sense hinges upon whether or not the word seed was singular or plural, and it was singular, and that seed is Christ, and it's pointing us to it. The seed, remember, of the bondwoman is cast out. Chapter 49 of Genesis, verse number 10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come. And unto him shall be gathered, and the people be. The promised king is now promised to come through Judah. Um, Come to Exodus chapter 4, verse 22. What does God tell Moses to tell Pharaoh? Israel is my son, even my firstborn. Have you ever stopped to consider the book of Ruth? So many people think of the book of Ruth as a a sweet love story. They talk about Boaz looking at Ruth and thinking she's so pretty, falling in love with that, and the only problem is, is none of that's in the text. Boaz fulfilled a holy familial obligation to marry Ruth to raise up seed unto Elimelech's son, Ruth's dead husband. But well, what happens there? What happens at the end of it? Ruth 4, verses 18 through 21. Now these are the generations of Pharez. Pharez, who is the son of Judah. Pharez begat Hezron, and Hezron begat Ram, and Ram begat Amminadab, and Amminadab begat Nashon, and Nashon begat Simon, and Simon begat Boaz, and Boaz began Obed, and who was Obed but the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now what do we see in 2 Samuel chapter 7? But that God says in verses 11 through 16, just a few high points here, I will set up thy seed after thee. I will establish his kingdom. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father. And he shall be my son. Hebrews asked the question in Hebrews chapter 1, under which is the angel said he at any time that I you know, I'm your father, you're my son. Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. He hasn't. But he said, I will establish your kingdom and your house forever, and your throne forever. David's throne, David's house, David's kingdom, David's seed. So when we come to Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, and we love these verses for Christmas cards, and they say, Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom, to order and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever." The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So you have the promise of the Davidic seed coming. And now we find the Davidic seed, the promised seed is also to be called God. Hosea 11 chapter 1 prophesies, looks back to the past, looks forward to the future. When Israel was a child, then I loved him. and called my son out of Egypt. By the way, pardon me, I forgot to turn off my screensaver, so I have to wake this thing up every now and then. Uh, it's kind of like some of the church members you and I preach to. So we have to do that, but hey, praise God we get that opportunity. But you see the progress of the seed. What happened? Hosea 11.1, 1, you see that in Matthew. Matthew chapter 2, verses 13-16. through 16. As Joseph flees into Egypt from Herod and others, who would seek the baby Jesus' life. He comes out of Egypt and he said, this is the fulfillment. This is Israel, my son. All of Israel was created. All of the multiplied millions were created just to bring this one child, the promised seed in the world. Paul speaks of him as being Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Promised by the prophets. He's the... Son of God, Jesus Christ our Lord, but he was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. So you see, Jesus is that promised seed. But continue on. The promised seed who's going to bruise Satan under his feet has his heel bruised at the cross, but he conquers. And here's the promise in Romans 16 verse 20. The God of peace shall Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Look again. Chapter 10 of Hebrews, verses 11 through 14. Every priest standeth daily. Now the seed is not only a king and a conqueror, but he's going to come as a priest and a sacrifice. Every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of the throne, of, on the right hand of God, from henceforth expecting or waiting till his enemies be made, his footstools bruised under his feet, or by one offering it perfected forever them that are sanctified. So you can see this build up and even come into fruition even more in Revelation chapter 5 and 19 and 21 where the seed motif is still showing up to us. But I want to tell you one thing about this. Notice that in Hebrews chapter 10 verses 11 through 14. Every priest offers over and over and over and over over. sacrifices that are insufficient. You come to the Catholic Church and other religions and they offer over and over and over sacrifices because that's what the Mass is called. They believe that the bread turns into the literal body of Christ, the wine turns into the literal blood of Christ. That's why the priest will hold up that chalice and he'll say, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. Because he's saying Jesus is actually present in this cup. Thing is, is while they think they're offering a sacrifice, it'll never take away sins because Jesus' sacrifice was once done and sufficient forever. And so when he comes back, that promised seed is doing the bruising of Satan under his feet. And so what do you see happen in Revelation chapters 19 and 20? With the beast and the false prophet and Satan himself conquered and finally cast into the lake of fire And we conclude the book of the Revelation. Not just the 22 chapters of the book of the Revelation, but the 66 volumes of the book of the Revelation. When you read Revelation 22 and 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and offspring of David, the bright and morning star. That glorious thing. And so the Pentateuch begins with the promised seed because man failed to live up to what he should. Israel builds up, and they bring that promised seed, and he comes into the world, and he's everything that Israel failed to be. He's everything that all mankind failed to be. He redeems mankind, redeems the creation that mankind plunged into sin and under the curse. And the glory to God. He said, it's all about me. The great seed, the promised seed, the root and offspring of David the bright and morning star. So we invite everyone to come. We'll close with this. We call this Evangel Baptist Bible College because the Evangel is good news. The Bible, from beginning to end, is good news. And the more we know it, the more we see the glory of the gospel. We see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The beauty and magnificence of what God has done for millennia. And now He's brought it to pass. So much of it in our day. And soon we're going to see Him face to face. And that's good news. There's no news any better than that. And so I pray that the Lord would use this to begin to provoke some thought on the Pentateuch so that as you look there, you look and see Christ because it's testifying of Him. Romans chapter 15, verse 8 said, Jesus came to fulfill, to confirm, to ratify the promises God made to Israel, but also that the Gentile might glorify God for His mercy. All of that is founded in the Pentateuch, the glorious gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for these brothers and sisters who will take time to watch this, and I pray they'll profit from it. May our hearts be stirred. May we um, be enlightened by your spirit. May your word um, draw us near to you in faith that we might have joy and peace in believing and abounding in hope through the glorious power of the Spirit of God. Father, may these truths provoke thought that even those who would listen and watch, that they would be able to go so much farther than I have in their learning. And that when they put it into practice, they'll exceed me so much in holiness and zeal so that they will be a blessing where you use them, where you place them to people they come into contact with. Thank you for this opportunity. Lord, we love you. We worship you and ask for grace to be able to do so more and in a better fashion for Jesus' sake. Thank you for watching. May God bless you.